0: Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today?
1: I'm great. And you?
0: I am doing well, thank you. It says sun is shining, temperatures are warm, life is good in the Chenoweth household.
1: Huh. It's raining here and kind of cold. Oh. So I guess it's better to be in D.C. area today than it is to be in New York.
0: Right now it is, yes. Although my 12-year-old would take issue with that. He is look he was disappointed that it's not raining because his job today is to use a leaf blower everywhere around the house and on the deck. So he would prefer there was rain so he wouldn't have to do it.
1: They just can't always get what they want, Peggy.
0: That's what I tell him. <laughs> yeah what, tell he, what he doesn't realize is that if it was raining that that means that he would be working downstairs. so
1: exactly right. we can pick we can find another chore inside the house.
0: Exactly. It's called adaptation. is what I do well.
1: Yeah. Kids don't get that concept. They no. just think that if you can get out of the one thing, it gets you out of all of them.
0: Exactly. Isn't that funny how that works?
1: <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're very linear in their thinking at that yes. point.
0: Uh, so we have a fun top. Well, not really a fun topic, but an interesting topic, a very timely topic on a few points.
1: Yeah, and so this is something that was actually in the issue of giving credit where credit is due. Uh, Nicole Verkailen, the uh, inaugural NAOP fellow who was featured in a uh, prior episode, we interviewed her last year, um, brought this one to our attention. Uh, there was a uh, a white paper published by a company called One Call in the last few weeks, and it's gotten some attention, and we wanted to cover uh, what it talked about and peggy the, the core concepts here really relate to uh, first of all the white paper focuses on upper extremity amputation which is a welcome uh welcome thing because so much of what we end up talking about necessarily is on the lower extremity side of things uh but getting uh, getting some information that's upper extremity specific is really great um but the basic premise of the article was that getting a prosthesis as soon as possible after amputation is a good thing which as a matter of common sense, I think most people with limb loss and limb difference already understand. But as we've talked about a lot in the past, access barriers can work against that goal. Um, so payers can impose requirements that delay our access to needed care. Um, and when dealing with more expensive devices, this is a real issue. Uh, that's where we tend to see more barriers, more resistance. So in this podcast, our plan is to discuss the white paper and uh, go through it in a little bit of detail.
0: Sounds good. Dave, before we hop into the topic, can you um, talk to our community just for a minute about what a white paper means, what, what it actually is? Because I think that we may be talking above people just a little bit, that that's not something that's in the common vernacular.
1: Sure. So uh, a white paper is, and I'm just reading right from the web here, white paper is a persuasive, authoritative, in-depth report on a specific topic that presents a problem and provides a solution. Um, so white papers are often used by marketers um, and as problem-solving guides, uh, but you see them, it's, it's less than a full-blown study. So it's not a peer-reviewed piece of research, but it is a persuasive report on a topic um, that both identifies a problem and tries to provide a solution. Sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Do you want to talk a little bit about who published the white paper?
0: Uh, so this white paper was published by a company called OneCall, and that contracts uh, primarily with workers' compensation insurance companies. Um, and they provide specialized solutions for these companies. So they kind of look at the issues that primarily workers' compensation insurance companies are facing. They they look at the broad issues and then try to narrow it down on the topic and then come up with a solution. And they did that through this white paper. In this particular situation, this white paper was actually authored by a prosthetist and a physician. Uh, the prosthetist, in full disclosure, previously worked for a, man- a prosthetic manufacturer and um, they, this person led educational programs focused on creating the best possible patient outcomes. So it was a good team approach um, and obviously very well-versed and familiar with the entire scope of the issue facing these workers' compensation insurance companies.
1: Yeah. And, and also just to go one step further, I actually know the author um, of this, the prosthet- the prosthetist who co-authored the paper. Um, this is someone who actually has reached out to me in the past year a few times to discuss uh, upper extremity and lower extremity prosthetic solutions that the company I work for in my day job offers. And um, as a one call employee, was reviewing claims and trying to provide input to the workers' compensation insurance company that was responsible for a particular patient. So this is someone who has historically been engaged in the world of orthotic and prosthetic patient care and uh, who uh, has a good working knowledge, certainly on the technology side, of what uh, what prosthetic components can do for people with limb loss. So um, really, uh, you know, someone who's got some expertise and is really interested in this topic historically.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm happy. I'm a, So the very first thing I have to tell you, Dave, is I'm really excited to finally be talking more in depth about upper extremity amputation. I think that our podcast, as you stated earlier, does tend to focus more on lower extremity Um, And we've identified that as as an area that we want to improve through AMPT. Um, So I think that this is really our first first step towards providing more upper extremity-specific information and resources. Um, So this white paper, it does focus on upper extremity amputation. And what it ended up saying was that delays in prosthetic fitting tended to lead to poor outcomes. Um, it also went into delved into the emotional acceptance of limb loss and how that is imperative during the recovery process. So if it takes you a long time or it takes the individual a long time to kind of emotionally wrap their head around the, the fact that they're now living with limb loss, um, that's going to delay the ultimate recovery. Um, and it also kind of broke down, Uh, the psychological of limb loss into different areas of like grief, depression, and stress, which can be, you know, either emotional stress or financial pressure, because you have all kinds of bills and you're dealing with insurance company. And if you just lost your limb, you know, it's assumed that you're out of the workforce for at least a, a certain period of time.
1: Yeah. And in fact, in the white paper, they talk about sort of the median time out of work for somebody who lost their, their hand um, or, or more of their arm uh, as a result of a workplace injury uh, was six months. That's the median. Um, and the times range dramatically, but it's, it, six months sounds right to me in terms of um, sort of what the average time out of work would be for someone who'd suffered that type of injury.
0: And I think it would so, depend greatly on what your profession was. If you were, you know, obviously doing something where you worked with your hands and then became an upper extremity amputee, it's it's going to take you longer to get back into the workforce, finding a new profession and things like that.
1: Yeah, no question. And I, and I think, and I've, this is, I, I haven't actually ever seen hard data on this Peggy, but I think it is generally true that the majority of workers comp, Upper extremity amputations um, are are involving employees who do tend to work with their hands. They're involved in physical labor, often around heavy machinery, and uh, it's those types of jobs that tend to be more dangerous and where people um, do lose limbs in the course of uh, in the course of performing their job responsibilities. So it goes right to the core of what they did uh, often. Right. So with that being said, um, the white paper went on to talk about how. Providing new amputees coping strategies uh, that that go beyond just fitting a prosthesis and getting them uh, getting them to learn how to use uh, use it to manipulate objects and and uh, interact with the world is really important. And these coping strategies are outside of the realm of prosthetic specific rehabilitation. So they talked about real relaxation training, exercise, a good diet. Um, addressing what they call negative self-talk, so talking yourself into bad places. Uh, and then um, they also mentioned, interestingly to me, Peggy, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's not something I've ever actually had firsthand experience with. But interestingly, after my accident, um, years after my accident, when I was actually speaking to a therapist at one point, um, she talked to me about potentially using EMDR um, in conjunction with, um, with stuff I was working through, um, which was really interesting. And she gave me a book on it. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty fascinating way of trying to deal with, uh, psychological stress and, and in particular traumatic, um, traumatic historical, uh, facts that have affected people. Um, the white paper went on to talk about, um, Early fitting, crucial, ideally within 30 days of release from a hospital. So getting someone in a prosthesis fast is really important. And they also mentioned really important to involve the amputee in the prosthetic selection process and that failure to do so increases the chances of that person rejecting the prosthesis. And Peggy, this is something you and I have talked about a lot when we've just talked about what is what is your role as someone with limb loss, limb difference in the patient care uh, process. And I think we've said pretty consistently that while well, not everyone necessarily wants to be involved in that process, and nor are we suggesting that everyone needs to be an expert, we've always said that being involved in that process, doing some research and having a voice in it is a positive thing and something we encourage people to do, right?
0: And that's why we we created the AMPT product encyclopedia, which I'm very excited that we are beginning to add the upper extremity information to that. And that will be done by the end of this quarter. Um, little side note, but it, it is important to become informed. Um, you know, I hear so often still that that they say, oh, somebody new to limb loss, especially might say, I don't really know what I have. It's whatever the prosthetist gave me. And I go back to the prosthetist didn't give you anything. You and or your insurance company purchased it. And you do have a choice. You do have a role and I really, I, I think that becoming educated about your options out there um, just only serves to empower you in your own recovery and in your own in in your own um, what word am I looking for, Dave?
1: <laughs> in your own rehabilitation.
0: There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. Rehabilitation. Yes. So you know, knowledge is power. Um, becoming informed about your your prosthetic options. I totally get that it's overwhelming for somebody who's new to limb loss, especially if it's traumatic and you didn't have the opportunity to kind of do your research ahead of time. Um, and that's where connecting with another person might really be really helpful. And we have created a network for that AmpedLife.com where you can go on, connect away from social media, away from all of the, the white noise and political debates and all of the things that, that are, are pervasive on our social networks right now, where you can have a safe place to just talk about limb loss related issues, amputation, prosthetics, phantom pain, all of that, Amplife.com.
1: Yeah, thanks, Peggy, for, for mentioning those, those resources and, and fleshing out the discussion of why being involved in prosthetic selection as a, as a patient is so important. The other point that the white paper discussed was making sure that you find a prosthetist with extensive upper extremity experience. And this is something that is a real issue. Uh, most prosthetists do not see a high percentage or high number of upper extremity patients. It could be that the average prosthetist only sees two to three a year if they're, if they're lucky. Um, and what that means is that very often people with upper, upper extremity amputation are interviewing or going to places uh, that don't do a lot of upper X work. And it may very well be worth their while to spend more time researching prosthetists and to travel a little bit further than you might otherwise to find somebody who does treat people with those types of amputations on a regular basis. Cause it's a very different world than lower extremity prosthetics. And if uh, people are wondering, how do I do that? We have a a tool, it's the prosthetist interview tool, and we encourage people and we we give examples in that tool of questions you can be asking as an upper extremity amputee. You should certainly be asking your prosthetist, how many upper extremity patients a year do you treat? Uh, What types of technologies do you fit on those patients? Make sure you have a real strong sense of that.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up, Dave. Um, so this is a good white paper. I'm glad we talked about this one. Should we summarize?
1: Absolutely. Why don't you go ahead?
0: All right, so uh, the wall pa- I'm sorry, the white paper was put out by a company called OneCall that uh, contracts and basically represents uh, the workers' compensation insurance companies. Um, and they wanted to know kind of explore upper extremity outcomes. Uh so this white paper highlighted multiple factors that influence the ability for an upper extremity amputee to have a positive prosthetic outcome. Uh the first thing is that that they discovered that or they proclaimed rather than discovered I guess, that fitting new upper extremity amputees as soon as possible is critical to prosthetic acceptance and prosthetic accept, um success. So within 30 days of discharge you know you're going to have your most successful fittings and acceptance and recovery. Um, they also discussed how it's more than just a physical rehabilitation. It's not just handing somebody a prosthetic device and then they're fine. They really need a whole a whole suitcase of different coping tools in order to really be successful and to have a successful recovery. And that amputees who are more engaged. In the process of prosthetic success, of prosthetic selection, have a higher success rate, um, and are further along on the path to recovery than those who take a more passive
1: approach. Yep, and I think this is all from the perspective of people who've been amputees for a long time, like you and me. I think this makes a lot of sense. Uh, but it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see someone who is connected to the payer world. Uh, the insurance world acknowledging this publicly and uh, you know making sure that people get into a prosthesis as quickly as possible, making sure that they're given not only physical but emotional support, and making sure that people are involved, that the patients themselves are involved in the selection of the devices that they're going to use. These are all things Peggy, that you and I have talked about for a very long time. It's gratifying to see it, it uh, borne out in this white paper.
0: It is. And I also find it really ironic that, that this is from, you know, representing insurance companies because they seem to, you know, have the delay at all costs tactic, the, you know, skim where you can on treatment. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see a white paper actually kind of going against many of the practices that, that I'm seeing that are still happening every single day.
1: Yeah. And maybe, and hopefully this is the, the, uh, the forebearer of a more progressive approach to, uh, how workers' compensation carriers, uh, approach these types of things. I know your experience with workers' compensation has been an absolute horror show, uh, largely due to just the poor, uh, poor matching of you to a, a caseworker who's pretty retrograde and Neanderthal in their thinking. But, interesting that companies like OneCall are employing prosthetists uh, and using using people who have real experience in the prosthetic industry and who know what quality care looks like to try to get better patient outcomes, which for them ultimately saves money. So that's encouraging.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So hopefully this will mark some change and we'll keep an eye out on it. So I want to thank Nicole for bringing this topic to our attention. Um, If you're listening and you have ideas for topics, uh, please email us. Uh, You can email me directly, Peggy at Amplife.org. Or you can drop us a message in Mighty Network, which is Amplife.com.
1: And please do. We're always looking for ideas. We're always interested to talk about what you want to talk about, not what we think is necessarily interesting. So please do reach out to us.
0: Absolutely. All right, Dave.
1: Great talking to you.
0: You too. Have a great week.
1: I will. Thank you. Take care. Bye.